Jay, are we done with Mighty Morphin yet? No, we still have two alternate timelines. Well, fuck. What does this universe have to offer? Krispy Kreme. Did you at least get donuts? Oh, sh- Hi, I am that other, other black and green sea hag, Ashley. And I, I forgot the donuts, Jay. And this is Ranger Splain, where Jay, a lifelong Power Rangers fan, takes me, Ashley, through the magical world of Power Rangers. And that includes the alternate timelines. Uh, yeah, this movie is a reboot timeline of Mighty Morphin trying to cash in on that sweet reboot nostalgia cash. But, well, let's get into it. A brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal all meet each other at a rock quarry where the brain unearths power coins. They soon discover they have superpowers from bonding with them and then meet back up. As they descend into the rock quarry, they discover a spaceship that houses Zordon and Alpha 5. They are then tasked with becoming Power Rangers and banding together to stop the evil former Green Ranger reader Repulsa from destroying the world by getting the Zeo Crystal. It's basically the Breakfast Club meets Pacific Rim with extra Krispy Kreme product placement. We also have a quick follow-up comic to the series, and the following people worked on that. So that was written by Ryan Parrott, who is the current writer on uh, Go Go Power Rangers. He's actually going to be working on uh, Mighty Morphin come August, I think? I think so. Uh, or July. Anytime, sometime this summer after this podcast will come out. And it was illustrated by uh, Lucas Wernick and Robert Carey, with colors by Joanna LaFuente and letters by Jim Campbell. All right, well, let's get into this. Let's get into the characters and how they're different from their Mighty Orphan counterparts. Yeah, so we have uh, Billy Cranston, who is the brain. And yes, we're going to run with this uh, Breakfast Club joke through the entire episode, so uh, tough shit. <laughs> uh, he is very much the heart of the movie. Yeah, so like we like pretty much automatically loved him from the start. And so R.J. Seiler, um, you said he played him because, like, played Billy like that because his, uh... I, I couldn't find the reference, but I do believe he referenced at some point he had an autistic brother. So in this movie, Billy is uh, canonically autistic. And it adds dimensionability because the series kind of codes him as autistic, but it never diagnosed him. And he's also, like, really well-rounded and really well done. He's not like Sheldon from fucking Big Bang Theory. He's very empathetic, uh, very loving, just doesn't have the best social and skills, and it also has sensory issues, like when he told Jason to please don't touch me. Right. I think it was after, like, Jason gave him a hug when he disabled the um, uh, the ankle bracelet. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So, like, he's also, along with being that, he's, like, the first one to morph. Yes. Um, because, like, he wanted uh, Zach and Jason to stop fighting while they were training. And I think it was because since he was the one who put um, the team before him, like, before himself. Yeah. Uh, that was what caused him to morph. So, of course, like, it goes to the guy who is, like, the most lovable, like, heart of the entire movie. Um, we all cried when he died. Oh, yeah. And also when he said, thank you for being my friends when they all thought they were going to die in the Zords. Yeah, it's... it's... Oh, God, Billy in this movie is just, he, like we said, he is the heart of the team, and he kind of is, because of that, he's very much a, a big central character. Right. Um, so, yeah, and we we love this Billy a lot. Um, now, like the Aftershock comic, it kind of made him a little bit more serious in the movie. Um, he was a little bit more lighthearted, not to say that he wasn't, like... Serious. Yeah, like, he didn't take things seriously, but, like... Here, he was definitely the heart, and in the comic, he kind of got got pushed to the side a little bit. Yeah, and you know he he's you know uh deals with his mom, uh and and 
ha- and you can tell he's still grieving from his father's death, like going to the rock quarry a lot, um, and um, also his love of country music. Yeah, like the whole thing where he talks about like you know that he legitimately loves country music. Um, and now I'm just I have this mental image of like Billy listening to like Old Town Road. Yeah, like I'm sure that meme's gonna be out of style by the time this episode comes out, but it's it's April when we're recording this, so whatever. Whatever. And then we have Kimberly, the princess. So, uh, we were not too thrilled about the revenge porn situation that was like her, um, her central plot. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that like a lot of her plot line was like kind of learning to like forgive herself mm-hmm. for that and like learning to move on to like, um, choose to be a, was it like choose to be a better person that like Jason tells her something like that? Yeah. Um, but it was still just, like, why is this, like, her central plot? Like, I get that she's a high schooler, but, like, I don't know how I felt about her kind of making her, like, the mean, like, the reformed mean girl. Yeah, especially with, you could do all sorts of things, like, maybe she used to bully this girl, but instead you went with revenge porn. Because, like, she was jealous of, like, the girl's boyfriend or something like that? I don't know. I don't remember. I really don't care, but... Weirdly enough, this is not the first time I've seen uh, Naomi Scott in a movie, uh, the actress who played her. Um, so uh, in 2011, she was in a Disney Channel original movie called Lemonade Mouth, um, which, I shit you not, which was about five delinquent teens meeting in detention, but instead of forming a superhero group, they form a rock band to save their school's like art program. So this is not the first time Naomi Scott has been a uh, delinquent teen. Yeah. Um, and also, one very interesting is her and Billy swapped roles because Billy in the original Mighty Morphin TV series was often the more logical one, coming up with plans and everything, while Kimberly was the heart. So yeah, in this movie, she's the more logical one, and like ends up being the probably the more reasonable member of the team. So I mean, it, it, it still worked for her, and um, it was I, it was weird to not see Kimberly be like you know. The, the, the central heart of the team, but it still it was nice to kind of see her be very responsible. I think uh, probably compensating for her own mistakes in the past. And I also kind of like that you made the male character who is autistic be the more empathetic, be the heart of the team. You often don't see that, particularly with autistic characters and particularly with men characters. And using the woman character to be the logical one because right. it's oftentimes the woman is the more like emotional heart of the team and everything, while the guy is the more logical one, especially the smart guy. Right. And like I think you mentioned before, like going back to Billy for a second, like that oftentimes, like, or maybe I just read this on a tw- uh, Twitter thread that the other day about like oftentimes autism is portrayed as not really having, not getting jokes or like not really having empathy. Mm-hmm. But, like, in the case of, like, Billy, he is the type that has so much empathy. Yeah. I think, and I, I mentioned that because uh, where I went to school uh, is Landmark College, and it's a school for the learning disabled, and it has a lot of autistic kids there. And one of my friends in college, uh, Jared, I haven't talked to him in a while, but I want to mention him. Um, he had autism, and he talked about having too much empathy. Right. As opposed to, and he was, he was a very empathetic guy. As opposed to what you normally see, like with, like with Sheldon. Right. But yeah, going back to Kimberly, um, yeah, and I, I, even like with how her storyline was kind of like, 
really this is what we're going with i do like the fact that like her storyline was about kind of forgiveness in herself mm-hmm. um and not necessarily like jason gives her advice on what she can do to like better herself but like ultimately it comes down to her making that choice yeah um also naomi scott looks really good with short hair she does i'm gay you're um, very gay. Yeah. And I think by the time this podcast comes out, like, she's going to be Princess Jasmine in Aladdin. So that's that's yeah. pretty cool. In the comics, ah! Yeah, she ends up kind of being Jason's love interest, even though that kind of got taken out of the movie. Yeah, thank God. This is the note that you have here is that uh, romance plot tumors suck. Yeah. And basically in the movie, if they kept their romance, it would just been unneeded. Right. Uh, as much as the actors did have chemistry, um, it was just kind of unneeded heterosexuality to have in the movie because, you know, it's like, oh, the main male and the main female obviously need to fall in love and be together. That to me just is, uh, you know, it's very annoying to see, especially since it, it would have taken away from the movie. Right. And they ultimately cut it out because it took away from the movie. And to just kind of add it back into the comics was just kind of like, ugh. Right. But yeah, speaking of Jason, we have Jason, the athlete, aka the literal star athlete of Angel Grove, uh, because he was the star quarterback on Angel Grove's football team before uh, he got in an accident that fucked up his knee. Yeah, and we love this Jason. You know, he's snarky. He's not sure about being a leader. Uh, his arc was mostly learning how to become a leader. But you actually mentioned it's also figuring out what he wanted to do besides be a football player. Yeah, it's very similar to, like, last month's episode when we talked about Power Rangers Pink. Um, where uh, Kimberly was uncertain about what she wanted to do after being a Power Ranger. And so, like, it's it's interesting to see the uncertainty here play into actually becoming a Power Ranger versus what do you do after. Yeah. We would also like to note that his uh, dad may have learned of becoming a Ranger. It was something you pointed out that I didn't notice. I just was like, oh, his dad just wanted to put up a clipping, clipping of his, like, the hero that saved him. And you're like... Maybe his dad actually knows that's Jason. Yeah, because he actually talks to his dad, like, when he's saving him from the from his car during the final fight scene. And he's not really, I don't think he was really disguising his voice at all. Yeah. And so, like, it's not like the suit has any sort of, like, vocoder just to be like, or he was just like, hey, come with me. It's going to be fine. Like, Batman or Bane or something like that. Yeah. So I was just like, so I watched that, especially because it reminded me of the... Um, uh, the end of the movie called Whip It, mm-hmm. where um, uh, basically there was a whole there was a minor plot line where like the next door neighbor to um, I can't remember the uh, Ellen Page's like character's name, but if I remember her derby name, which is Babe Ruthless, like her dad, like his character, like the like the next door neighbor, like keeps putting up signs about their son being like the store our quarterback of like their local Texas football team, and at the very end of the movie, he gets to put up a sign in the yard about like how Babe Ruthless was like rookie of the year for like the Texas Roller Girls or something like that. Yeah. So like it kind of reminded me of that. It's like wait. Did Jason's dad, who's been, like, disappointed in his son this entire movie because he fucked up, like, his football prospects, did his dad figure out that his son is a superhero? Yeah. It, it was kind of inter- – it was an interesting thing to point out to me because that, that was a big kind of part of Jason was his struggle with his father. Right. Also, not for nothing, his dad looks like Bobby Roode. Yeah, his dad did look like Bobby Roode, and that was hilarious. Yeah, so – okay, I'm full disclosure, I have never actually seen Stranger Things – 
But um, I was at least vaguely aware of Darcy Montgomery, uh, who was the actor who played Jason, that he was on Stranger Things, which I think came out around the same time as Power Rangers, at least the second season. I don't know why people stand his character on Stranger Things, though, because I hear that he's like his character there's kind of a racist. Uh, they're like he's like, like every character description I hear of this character is he's the racist stepbrother. Just trash. Yeah, but it's like why not stand Jason, who is like in this is probably the best version of Jason Lee Scott I've ever seen in like a version of Power Rangers because he actually has a personality and you actually see him like you know be a leader. Besides just saying that he's a leader, you he's, know? He's a leader or, like, I, I'm i karate dude. I teach karate. To, like, the local disaffected teens. Yeah. He, like, in this case, he is a disaffected teen. Yes. The comics, like, kind of continues with him, like, learning how to be a leader. Especially, like, when he's continuing to butt heads with Zordon. But Zordon's a dick. We'll, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, next is Zack, the basket case. Oh no! Oh, he's he's hot. hot. Lud is hot. Not. <laughs> um. So he starts off as this aggressive general uh, adrenaline junkie who skips school. Um. Kind of jokes around. Doesn't seem to take things seriously. And then you find out part of the way through the movie, and I think you actually see his mother before that, but like he admits to the fact that like his mother is sick and um. He lives in like a small trailer. Yeah. So like it's literally just like him and her and he doesn't really know how to process that yeah um he butts heads with jason a little um but really comes through together at the end it kind of goes more to this in the comics but he definitely loves billy and billy is his dude you know that that's that's his dude man yeah and like him and trini have a trolling relationship through the entire movie because like billy instead not billy um Zach, instead of going to school, he hangs out at the rock quarry all day. He basically just goes to school and he decides to go to school, but lies to his mother. It's like, this poor boy needs therapy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, since uh, Trini also hangs out at the rock quarry all the time doing yoga while listening to metal, he kind of begins trolling her. But I think it becomes like a loving trolling towards the end yeah, of the movie. They, they, they're kind of good friends. Yeah. So I think... She I would say, like, the only character that really gets to have a moment that shines in the co- in the Aftershock comic is that um, it is Zack. Because mm-hmm. he get, you get to see a lot of his internal conflict, um, especially there's this one scene where they have to rescue, a, like, um, there's a whole thing where, like, some of the putties, there's, like, there's still residual energy with, like, the putties, so they have to go and fight them. Yeah. And um, there's this, like, this family van that nearly falls off a cliff and, like... And some of it was due to, like, basically not, I think some, I'm trying to remember the details, but basically power, nearly Power Ranger uh, negligence kind of almost ends them up, ends up with the family dying, but Zack is able to save them at, like, the last minute. And and Zack kind of, like, goes into that conflict of, you know, being a hero and everything, and Billy kind of, you know, helps him out with that. Yeah, and I that, that's definitely something I would have liked to have seen more of. I mean, but the comic's only like sixty pages long, so it's like just yeah. extended one shot. And I'm glad to see that because Zach kind of got a little bit of the short end of the stick in this movie, and it's something we'll get into later with this movie and like how it handles an ensemble cast. But it it definitely kind of gave him a bit of the short end of the stick there. All right, well, uh, moving on, we now have Trini, the criminal. Oddly enough. Uh, she definitely gets the short, shortest end of the stick. Yet, still has more character than the original Trini. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's hard. Yeah, poor Trini. Yeah. So what we do see of her is that she's very distant because she's had to move from school to school due, due to her own kind of delinquency. Yeah. So basically, it's she's at this point with her family that, like, as a delinquent, like, her mother, like, one, like tells her at one point to pee in a cup because she thinks she's crazy. Yeah. Because she literally tells them what happened to her at the rock quarry. Yeah, she's like, you must be on drugs. Yeah. So at some point, Rita decides that she's the weak link of the team, and there's this whole, like, scene where, like, Rita attacks her in her bedroom. It's kind of homoerotic. It's extremely homoerotic, Jay. Yeah, that that was extremely homoerotic. She's actually our first canonically bi-ranger, as confirmed with the movie people, um, as well. It's kind of like this weird line in the movie when Zach goes girlfriend troubles, and she doesn't really answer, but it ended up getting answered by... Uh, I think the director and scriptwriter, don't quote me on that, but I know, like, the production team later went, yeah, she's she's bi. Uh, yeah, and I think that, because she basically talks about how she hasn't been able to really talk to her family about that. Kind of has some lesgier with Kimberly. Yeah, especially, like, the Krispy Kreme scene where they're, do- like, they're well, they're in the middle of their training and they got that weird, like, fork parkour going with the donut. Yeah, it's like, it just kind of came off as a date. And there's, there's, because of those, like, little things... She, um, there's just so much fanfic of Kimberly and Trini from the movie-verse. Right. So, yeah, especially, like, even though there was not a lot for Trini in the script, Becky G, who played her, uh, really brought a lot to the table. And I think it added, like, her performance definitely added a lot of extra dimension to a character who, unfortunately, didn't get a whole lot to do in terms of the script. Yeah. Uh, choked out a bitch like Shayna Baszler, though. Yeah, so during the training scene, I remember she, like, like, they had her, like strangling like one of the like rear naked chokehold yeah samoa joe is shook right um and fortunately in the comics like got the shortest end of the stick because like again 60 page comic they mostly focused on jason and zach and so therefore trini got fuck all to do yeah uh which is sad because she really could have used the extra character development yeah now we're on the other characters that aren't rangers like Zardon, the asshole! He's Professor Xavier levels of asshole. Shout out to Jay and Miles from Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. Yep. Oh, God. They're the reason I hate, fuck, I fucking hate Professor Xavier now. So, the whole backstory of Zordon is that he was the original Red Ranger and was killed by Rita, not before hiding the power coins in the Earth and depowering her, and he also killed the dinosaurs. This is a thing in Power Rangers. Yeah, like... I asked you about this. Yeah, this is basically back-to-back cannons because Dino Charge came out around a similar time period of mentors killing the dinosaurs. But we'll touch on that when we get to Dino Charge about two to three years from now. Um, so oftentimes, like with Zordon, he butted heads with the Rangers, and he was kind of just a self-serving dick through most of the movie because he wanted to come back to life. Yeah, and that's like... And the only way to do that was through the teens he just fucking hated and berated, and he didn't even clue them in on how to morph. Uh, because he, he needed to come back through the morphing grid, which we'll get into later. Um, he just was like, fucking morph and fight, guys. I'm not going to give you any fucking hands. Fuck you. So, like, yeah, it's like, here's the thing. It's like, I dunk on Zordon a lot. Like, if you feel into this past episodes of this uh, podcast, I dunk on Zordon. But, like, he's a lot more helpful in the TV series and seems to actually care about the Rangers. Here, he just kind of fucking hates them. And it's just sort of like, well, you're the best I got. Well, fuck that shit. I don't know. It's like the wizard Shazam and, like, Shazam, where, like, 
yeah, Billy was the best he had, but, like, also, Shazam wasn't, like, there to just be a dick to him the entire time while he was learning to pa- uh, control his powers. And he, he sort of gets over it at the end when the Rangers do access the morphing grid, and instead of him stepping through the morphing grid, which he was trying to do, he brings Billy back to life. And that was kind of his character arc moment of, these kids are all right, but, he you know, fuck him, he's still an asshole. Yeah, and it's like, also, the morphing grid can do that. Sure, why not? Okay. At least to the credit of the movie, Brian Cranston is very good at playing a self-serving asshole. He, it was a very good casting choice. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was basically the entirety of Breaking Bad was, like, his character, Walter White, just being a self-serving asshole. Again, series I haven't actually seen, but I'm, like, going to peep, like, referencing people way smarter than me who have analyzed the series. Comic? But, fuck him. Yeah. He's, like, somehow he's even worse in the comic. Uh, now we're on the Alpha 5, who's fucking hilarious, but also, like, horrifying. Yeah, like, literally, like, the scene that where Alpha 5 is introduced, which it was kind of giving a little off a little bit of a horror trope when he was introduced, because, yeah. like, I think Trini just kind of gets grabbed by, like, the ankle or something like that, by something they can't see. And then this alien pops up on the screen, and I just scream, what the fuck is that? Uh, yeah, like, God, he was, I just remember when we first saw like alpha five with when the movie designs came out and we were like holy shit what the fuck but yeah like the more you actually got to see like alpha five in the movie like as the more kind of he grew on me even with his horrifying design and this is where bill Hader um was ultimately a really good casting choice so he got to have more of the comedic relief uh presence than he did in the tv series uh where he was actually useful instead of just being like Ay, 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 Zordon. Yeah, ay, 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 ay. And, like, Alpha, like, really bonded with the Rangers. And he was the one that was more of their mentor figure, like, helping them out on how to morph and fighting the putties and all that. Or, you know, the the fake putties, whatever. Um, Basically, Alpha 5 is their true dad now. Yeah, he did actually seem interested in helping them, and he really bonded with Billy. And he was also, like, snarky and fun. Oh, God, was he fun. Yeah. Sorry, Series Alpha 5. But not really. Now we're on to Rita. Not, 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 not. <laughs> that is Ashley's reaction to Elizabeth Banks' Rita. Yeah, um, so I have been a fan of Elizabeth Banks for, like, a really long time. Probably about, um, about 10 years or so. Probably around the time I saw her in God Help Me Slither. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... She's one of those actresses that no matter what she does, she kind of goes all full 110% on it. And it's just always amazing in anything she does. And especially here, like, she was such a, like, she was an absolute ham. Like, she leaned into kind of, like, the over-the-topness of, like... Rita Repulsa. Rita Repulsa. And she was, like, chewing that scenery so hard. Yeah, and uh, she gained her hotness back by basically killing people. And it led to some interesting, like... Haggard sea witch scenes, which you really like. Yeah, I I, I kind of like it when like characters are don't necessarily look hot to begin with. Like she's not like a femme fatale as soon as she's unmummified. She's just sort of like Eah. just kills people to regain it. Yeah, she, uh, she, she killed a shit ton of people, mostly cops. We stand, Rita. She killed cops, right. like Zordon. Yeah, unlike Zordon. And like Zordon. Oh, Zordon. and Zordon. She did kill Zordon. Yeah. Yeah. Zordon was a fucking, like, space cop, and she killed him. So I was going to touch on this for a second. 
Um, actually, I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, I like the fact that like she what that having her be a former Power Rangers was really interesting. Yeah, it gave her more background in the original series, which was basically evil witch on the moon that was sealed away by Zordon. And her being an evil ranger turned by wanting power just kind of made more sense, and it was just kind of a nice touch. Yeah, so I did find it interesting, especially because this movie came out before Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. But, like, her and Hela as characters, especially in aesthetic and motivation had a lot of similarities yeah so i it's just it's pure coincidence but it was it was a nice kind of coincidence also like i'm very gay i yeah like i think just the look that they gave rita and the fact that elizabeth banks just fully leaned into like being that character made me kind of like i already love rita repulsa to begin with but like it, it really leaned into kind of making me love her more and yeah i i stand elizabeth banks she's great uh, Goldar was being a giant thing of gold was more useful than series Goldar. Oh, that's not like it's hard. If you can effectively kill something and also almost kill the Rangers, you're already better than series Goldar. Yeah. He didn't even get lines. Yeah, he was just a big giant creature made of gold. Ooh. Ooh like and we haven't made an Austin Powers joke once. Go us. Yeah. So in the comics universe, there's not a whole lot of new characters that are introduced. Um, There's, like, the federal government characters that are just kind of there to, like, oh, we gotta look at this ranger threat. So, you know, like, every superhero extended universe movie that we've dealt with in the past ten years, like, we touched on this with, like, at least two different Avengers movies. Yeah. I, it's it's one of those things, it's like, we've, we've gone over this, like, especially because the way the Power Rangers are treated in the TV series versus how the Power Rangers are treated here it's like i don't know it's weird and also we had the characters of jacob and aubrey they became half putties and or delinquents that were kind of raised themselves on the street it, it was just not much there yeah which i again they could have been interesting and in maybe like a sequel sort of situation but here they didn't really get to do much because again not a lot of time but yeah. whatever so let's let's get into like some of the plot stuff we liked and the odds and ends like the fucking giant German suplex. Yes. Okay. So I popped initially when they were doing it in training. So basically they were trying to like suplex like the fake putties or whatever. And then in the like the Megazord, they literally just grabbed Goldar and just hit this like German suplex. And I think I yelled and I was like, "This is the best movie ever!" Yeah, you did. Oh, it was so good. I, like, again, I just really love when they use wrestling moves and fight scenes in movies. Like, because say what you will about wrestling, like, there's a reason that they use those particular moves in movies. Because it shows better than just, like... Punching. Because it's, like, real fights, I don't think a lot of people realize, uh, unless you watch MMA and stuff like that, yeah. they just can go over really quickly and they, they're not flashy. Right. Whereas professional wrestling is all about the flash. Right. So, but anyway, yeah, this movie, going... Moving on from that, this movie was a little darker than the original series. It was. Um, it, it definitely, especially with them being delinquents, uh, they got the cuss. It was a little darker. And, you know, a ranger died. There was there was kind of these darker elements to the thing while still kind of holding true the Power Rangers. I right. Feel. But the darker tone kind of made some of the naming conventions that they kept in the movie really weird. Like, Rita wasn't just Rita. She was still Rita Repulsa. And I'm like, I, I think we were just kind of like, why did you keep Repulsa? Because that's so campy. Right. And then, like, 
her army, which her army was essentially were essentially rock golems, but like they still called them putties. putties. And it's just like that's such a silly name. Or like the giant gold creature still being named Goldar, Goldar, which is a little less stupid than being like a monkey man, but was still kind of awkward. Yeah. And they they actually say it's morphing time in the movie. And it just kind of, it it was kind of a weird thing to do. It's morphing time in the movie as much as it like gets a pop from the audience and yourself. But when you really immerse yourself in the movie, it's kind of like, why are you saying that? Yeah. And so, but here's the thing. It's like, even with the movie being dark, it wasn't grim dark. Like it was just, darker than the original like mmpr series yeah rpm honestly is more grimdark and it's just out of the fact that it's literally about the robot apocalypse right uh the rangers got to act like teenagers and struggled as teenagers instead of being those perfect paragons of community service like they are in mighty morphin yeah and it's like because especially like like in the like the original mighty morphin they do especially fall in that 90s trope of like perfect teens with like that aren't really characters so much as they are um stereotypes or just just like you know they didn't really get have dimensions as characters until like season three and even then they were still barely there uh which is why i brought up the reference to um to breakfast club at the beginning because it's like so much of the breakfast club was are about these struggling teens not like having to process stuff at home and at school and you had that here, but you also added superpowers to the mix, which I, you know, it was nice. It was actually really nice. Um, I find it interesting that the Power Ranger fandom really loved this movie because it, it was more about the characters. There were representation. It was a little darker for thing than what, what we wanted as adults, but it was still hopeful. You know, it, it didn't like completely grim, dark, awful because there is a fan film called Power Rangers that was a grim dark and mm. a lot of people didn't like it because it was just kind of like oh this is kind of really fucking dark guys and but I find it funny that the Jap- the American Japanese tokusatsu fandom didn't like it because it wasn't camp which is funny to me because half of you fuckers love Kamen Rider and Garo which is pretty dark especially Garo but I can understand because you view Power Rangers as camp I have been waiting to use that for five episodes. That is my shade towards fandom about this because it's like, guys, it's like you like you you also kind of crave Power Rangers to be a little bit darker, and you are given that, and you're like, oh, this is not campy. We want it to be campy, and I'm like, you like campy dark things, right? Garo is literally like tits and blood, and Common Rider can deal with some really, especially early Heisei, really deals with like much darker themes than what you would normally see in a kid's show. Right. And here you are, like, here's it being delivered, and you're like, yeah. Anyway, so when we talked about the representation, like, the fact that, like, it was really nice here that the representation wasn't just pasted on like it has, like it was with Power Rangers in the past. Um, so you got to see, like, Billy actually, like, being autistic. And, and it, it was, like, a good representation of an autism person. And then, like, you had Zach. You had Zach as an, like, as Zach was Asian in this movie. And, like, it wasn't just, he wasn't just Asian kung fu master. Like, they kind of made Trini um, in the TV series. Um, so he spoke Chinese with his mother and is shown being, like, very caring while also being, like. An adrenal junkie. He even hacks his sword at one point. Yeah. Like this, we haven't talked about like the beat with the nuns. Oh yeah! Oh the, my like, god! 
fight with the nuns was so good. It was just basically Zach just like trying to control the Zorn, and the Z- nuns were less off in their own universe. Right. Um, and I like the fact that he was specifically Chinese. They casted a Chinese actor. I do believe uh, Lydia Lin is a Chinese immigrant, okay. if I can remember correctly. And also, like, instead of like playing Chinese checkers or something, they play chess, like like American chess. Yeah, I, I, and I especially love that his mother, like, beats him at it. Yeah. Uh, it's really cute. Uh, it did a better job with the ensemble than Power Rangers, but it still needed, like, the work. Trini and Zack, particularly Trini, got shafted in terms of characters. But like I said, like, Trini was more fleshed out here than the original series, and it's something that, that shows in Power Rangers. It either is really good with treating everyone as an ensemble like in space is in space turbo to in space is really good at treating an ensemble uh mighty morphin as much as we give it shit did a decent job Mm -hmm. spd is another good one um there's a couple of them but like stuff like time force or rpm i love those series dearly but like they kind of um focused on like three characters Mm -hmm. three or four characters and then kind of shafted everyone else yeah. And it, it's something that um, you see here. It's a little bit better than I think some seasons, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a thing in Power Rangers that can be harmful to a series. Right. I like the fact here that, like, Angel Grove, um, in comparison to, like, the original series, did actually have, like, a specific location and a specific vibe versus just, like, generic Southern California. And they made it a podunk small harbor town, which. Me, as the local old queer girl, I would immediately like, this gives me Life is Strange vibes. Yeah. And I honestly got more New England than California out of it. Um, you know, it was a mining town also, but New England kind of also had mining that went on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just kind of was very steeped in the mountains, was very cold looking, um, just kind of had that small New England Harbor Lovecraft feel. Then the Sunny SoCal, which is more Angel Grove in the main TV series. So, yeah, like, we were trying to, like, Google, like, the best we can to see, like, where Angel Grove was located in uh, the movie. And we never got a definitive answer, but I think we decided that if if it was California, it's definitely Northern California. Yeah, like, definitely the mountains of Northern California, probably along the coastline where, like, you see those epic coastlines and everything and where harbors are. Mm-hmm. The Krispy Kreme product placement. Oh, God. And that included <sighs> where the Zeo crystal was located, which was right under the Krispy Kreme. Like, that is certainly a place that you can hide your, uh, hide the the major MacGuffin of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I was like, how much money did Krispy Kreme give the production to not only have the product placement that is just like completely throughout the entire film, but to have like the major plot point be like underneath like a Krispy Kreme in uh in Angel Grove. And another thing that was kind of a little sad was like the lack of a Balkan skull. Yeah, like you did have that one bully character who was like trying to torment Billy through like the first like third of the movie, and then you have like the Kim- the mean girls that Kimberly ran with, right? But you didn't have like these, you know, you didn't have these two like main doofuses that mm-hmm. like are trying to figure out who the Power Rangers are. And again, just because the movie was more serious, like I get it. It kind of touches in 
what we talked about with an AU universe uh, and writing AU fan fiction like you did with a uh, AU and a fandom where you did Scott Pilgrim versus the world and you were trying to like make characters and then you realize I don't need a Knives character because you know the people that I'm doing the like the characters in this fandom are like older they're in their 30s so I, I don't need a Knives character right um and it kind of goes into maybe they didn't need a bulk and skull because bulk and skull is very much like the the Greek chorus they're goofy they're silly and probably putting them in like a um serious power rangers movie was maybe not the best of choices and maybe that's why they got cut yeah um but maybe like in the next movie maybe have them be just be like guys in detention i don't yeah, know like if we'll, we'll see if especially if hasbro wants one also like before we actually get to the our final verdict oh, okay. i'm really i really liked seeing jdf and amy joe johnson at the end of the oh, movie oh that was just like oh my god I was like, like as because I knew like you told me ahead of time that they were gonna be there, but like as soon as like I saw them on screen, and the, how they like how kind of like because they're they're just Angel Grove citizens that were just like just saved by the Power Rangers, and like I love the fact that they kind of had this moment of looking like proud, and then like immediately whipped out their phones and were taking pictures of like, go on. But I have a funny story about this. Yeah, so, like, the fact that, like, you know, they're they're the first citizens in that group to just immediately whip out their phones and just be like, wow, these people are really cool. Uh, my favorite thing about you mentioning that is uh, when they did the premiere, a lot of my friends were end up uh, lucky enough to be chosen by Saban to go to the premiere and cover it. And one of the things that happened was JDF got kicked out because he filmed that bit. <laughs> it is the most JDF thing ever. Oh, Lord. Uh, JDF. But yeah, so our final verdict is that we both really liked the movie. It was yeah, like it added like an extra dimension to Power Rangers that hadn't really been there before. And like I, I'm not afraid to say that like this is probably some of my favorite representation of like Mighty Morphin that we've seen so far. Yeah, and like I said, it gave kind of uh the adult Power Ranger fans what they have wanted for a longer time, which is kind of a little bit more serious Mighty Morphin. Right. Uh and um I really enjoyed it because of that. And like you said, it, it gave more depth. It gave a, a, a kind of a it was a it was probably like the best iteration of Mighty Morphin we've seen. We have yet to touch Gogo and I've been really liking what I've reading so far of Gogo. But yeah, we hope Has Hasbro Greenlight's another one. Hey Hasbro, if you greenlight another one Make Tommy Oliver a girl. Yeah, and gay. Yeah, well, yeah, and make Kimberly gay. Yeah, just make him a gay, please. Please, please. I'm begging you, please. Uh, next month, we will continue with the alternate timelines with the comic series Go Go Power Rangers, and especially since they're wrapping up their first arc. Well, their first major arc, like, we're, um, they're going to be finishing up with issue 20 and then issuing um, Forever Rangers soon. Yeah. And um, so this is all going to be right happening right before Cena Grace comes on as a co-writer. Yeah, woohoo. So, as always, we want to say uh, thank you to David Tyberg for the equipment, Joe Hunter for our bitch and podcast art, and Super Beetle for giving us our name. And uh, our war, our favorite war horse. Yeah, so he, like he, at this point he recorded the promo a couple of months ago, but since we're like, it's still fresh on our mind, like, you should just go watch that promo again. Yeah. Um, but, um, as always, you can find us on Rangersplain on Twitter or WordPress. Um, our podcast channel is Ranger Splane, and you can always find that across, like, mostly anywhere you can find a podcast, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, CastBox, Stitcher, uh, Podcast.com. If you have a particular podcast app, um, you can probably find it there. If not, let us know, and we will figure out what we can do to get it on there. All right. 
and our social media. Uh, I am uh, Jay Jackets on Instagram. I'm starting to use it a little bit more now. Um, we're still iffy on having an Instagram for Rangers playing. But, uh, and also, I am Jacket Sexual on Twitter. Yep, and you can always find me at uh, Miss Kitty F both on Twitter and Instagram. And so, uh, until next month, this is Ranger Splane, and may the power protect you. Yeah. Go, go, power, Rangers!